Hey everybody, this is Kat, just letting you know that I had some audio issues with this one, so I sound pretty tinny. I really apologize, please bear with me. It's a good episode, otherwise we cover a lot of ground in previewing all of the big RPGs that are coming out this holiday. In any case, things should be back to normal next week, but until then, please listen to the show and enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, the podcast devoted to all things RPGs. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Navi Oxford. Hello, Kat. I am glad that you are on an island, even though you had to see the apocalypse sky. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. Uh, it was basically the end of the world. I was expecting Kefka to pop out and start laughing any second now. It reminds me of, I don't think you played this far in Secret of Mana, but at the very end of the game, the sky turns like orange and fills with thunder, and that looked a lot like that. <laughs> it was pretty creepy. It also kind of reminded me of a certain segment of Dragon Quest XI that I'm not going to spoil, that I'm on now. Oh, are you, did you finally get past all the uh, the side quests? I wouldn't call them side quests. They were more like interludes, vignettes. Yes, they were. And uh, as I said, they kind of interrupt the flow of an otherwise fantastic game, but I'm glad that uh, you got back to the story. Yes, um, I was watching Tim Rogers's Kotaku review of Dragon Quest XI for some reason. I don't know why. It was just it popped up in my recommendations, I think. And he made a really interesting point that Dragon Quest is best enjoyed as kind of a bedtime story, and that a common mm-hmm. thing in Japan is they will have a bath and then tuck in and play like thirty minutes of Dragon Quest, and Aww. that's how you're supposed to do it. It's almost like a fairy tale. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it that way. And I found it really easy to vibe with when I did that. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. I like that tradition very much. And it's definitely a game that you want to play with headphones on. You know, you don't want to be distracted when you're playing this game. Well, I'm glad that you picked it up again. And uh, yes, I know what you mean in terms of uh, the sky and the things that happen. It's, It's quite relatable. Okay, well, while my home state burns, let's talk about RPGs, Nadia. (laughs) We may as well, Kat. We got plenty of RPG news to cover this week with information about the Xbox Series S being unveiled. There's new Outer Worlds DLC, the Kingdom of Amalur Re-Reckoning is out, and I'll talk a little bit about Star Renegades. Our main topic this week is the Holiday RPG Preview 2020, in which we cover all of the big releases coming out this year, the remainder of this year, I should say, and of course, the track of the week. If you are enjoying the podcast, do us a favor and leave us a review over on iTunes, Stitcher, over the, the podcast of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash catbaileytv, and Nadia's at actungkitten. Actungkitten. Actung baby, Actung kitten. For Blood God fans, I've been streaming Valkyrie Profile. I'm getting very close to the end, Nadia. Yeah, uh, I've been wanting to tune into that, but I've always been busy when I saw you playing. But uh, you must have like a, a pretty dedicated audience just tuning in and watching that go down. Yes, I stream on Saturday afternoons usually, so you can tune in around 2 p.m. Pacific. That would be about 5 p.m. Eastern. And I usually stream for about four hours during the weekend when I'm playing Valkyrie Profile. 
And yeah, it's actually a surprisingly short game, Nadia. You know, it, it, when I look at retro games, and I thought well, they were so long when I was a kid or when I was younger, now I look at them and I'm like, haha, you were like little baby because everything is 100 hours or more now. Well, what's interesting is that Valkyrie Profile, if you play it on normal, you can bang it out in like 20 hours. Maybe no, less. Oh, really? Yeah. That is be- quite short. Yeah, it is quite short. Where if you play it on hard, I think it's going to be closer to 30 because you got different dungeons and everything. Uh, the magic is that it kind of begs for multiple playthroughs because uh, probably you're not going to get the best ending on your first playthrough if you're just playing it straight. So it's kind of encouraging you to try again. You get different dungeons, different characters if you play it on hard. It's really quite a brilliant little RPG. I like RPGs and games that do that. Um, just, yes, they're short to begin with, but there are multiple paths to tackle. Uh, Undertale did that really, really well because that's a game that's like you can finish like straight in three hours or so and then you go back and it gets a little more challenging with each path you take yeah we also have a newsletter that comes out every single wednesday it's penned by nadia has all of the rpg news nadia what's the topic of the newsletter this week well if i'm not mistaken i believe that the anniversary of rpg maker is coming up and i think a new game came out as well and now i have never used rpg maker but i decided to talk about uh, the quote-unquote fan projects that were floating around everywhere when I was, uh, you know, using the internet for the first time in the 90s. And we would have all these, you know, kids coming together in a group saying, hey, let's make a Mega Man X RPG. And I was part of one of those groups. And we had these big plans. You know, we had these character profiles that were useless in the long because no one was there to, like, program our game. So we'd come up with a story. We'd come up with, like, a few sketches and say, hey, we have a game. Can someone program it for us? <laughs> Back then, you weren't likely to find anyone because um, even then, I think games were uh, programmed in like C plus and assembly and, and stuff like that. Whereas nowadays, I'm glad to see we have so many templates and so many like engines that to help people get started. Um, it was not the case when I was younger. So I am, I am glad that has changed. Uh, R.I.P. that Mega Man X fan, uh, fan RPG, though that was that was pretty bad at any rate. Yeah, one of the alternative topics I was considering for this episode was actually RPG Maker uh, because it, I believe it just came out on Nintendo Switch. Maybe RPG R- RPG Maker MV, I believe it's what it's called. MV, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny when I was younger and they start and RPG Makers began, I think, as a PlayStation game. A lot of people made fun of it, said, haha, anyone who makes a game in an, an RPG maker is a real hack. And I'm glad that attitude has changed because the aforementioned Undertale, that was made in Game Maker, which is another kind of template program. And uh, people take these games seriously now as, as long as they're well made and not like that one game I played where the copy paste dog told me that, you know, anyone who doesn't like Pueblo honey can go fuck themselves. <laughs> It seems like RPG Maker, at least from a serious indie professional kind of standpoint, is falling out of favor. It, But it still has a lot of value as a hobbyist kind of exercise. Yeah, I think that if someone is making a very serious game, they're not probably not going to opt for RPG Maker anymore. But there is definitely a fan community out there that um, it, it just likes to have fun with it. And if you are starting out, I would assume that it's a, a good way to let you get your bearings on how to make a game flow, how to make the dialogue flow, 
how to make a battle system run properly. So it's a, it's a good exercise, I would think. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the RPG news this week. And this one is a fairly broad topic. We have a price and a release date for the Xbox Series X. It's going to be out in early November. Surprise, surprise. It's almost mm. as if this is the time that almost all consoles come out. And it's going to be, the Xbox Series S, it's going to be $299, Nadia. Is this a low enough price for you? I want to say yes, but I think my husband is totally set on the $499 version, which has the disk drive. And it is really kind of a toss-up for me, because I would go for that $299 deal. Because yes, the S isn't as powerful as the X, and etc, etc. But I think it'll run next-gen games just fine. But there's also the matter of, uh, if I download all my games, what then? I, I don't really buy games anymore, and that's totally on me. But you know, what I mean is I don't buy physical games, and... So it would make sense to just get the S and save that huge chunk of money, but I'd kind of be contributing to the the decay of of archiving games as as a medium. I I don't know. I feel very torn up about everything. That's a fair point. I am now at the point where I just don't buy games physically anymore. I download them one hundred percent. Yeah, and, and that's what I do. And sometimes I know how convenient it is. And again, you save a lot of money if you were going for the Xbox S. But yeah, it's, I want to be like, I don't want to be part of the problem, but on the other hand, two ninety nine. <laughs> I think good. it's a great entry point for the generation and Game Pass makes it all the more enticing. Personally, I would buy an Xbox Series X, but that's because I am more of a quote unquote power user or hobbyist. So mm. I'm going to just always go for the more powerful option if I can, and I'm willing to invest that way. But there's going to be a not insignificant number of people who are like, well, I want to play Call of Duty on next gen, and this one seems to be a, a good, cheap option to be able to do that, so I'll just buy that. What's going to be interesting is, uh, basically with GameStop going down the tubes and close, and all these stores closing up, it's going to be a little confusing for like grandmothers who want to buy Christmas presents, because Xbox wants everything, Microsoft wants this all to be under the Xbox banner, which is fine. But if you go into a store and you ask, like, you know, my grand my grandson wants this system. What well, can you tell me about it? You know, a clerk can tell you in two seconds. Well, this, this does this and this does this. If you go on Amazon and you're a confused grandmother, what are you going to wind up buying? I mean, confused grandmothers, they're always going to be confused no matter what. They're just going to walk in and be like, oh, well, I want that Microsoft PlayStation. <laughs> oh, which one do you want? The Nintendo. Oh, help me <laughs> oh. here just take this one is this Retail the cheap flashbacks. one yes it's the cheap one it's a nintendo switch just take it trust me you can't go wrong with a switch to be honest although if you do want like call of duty you might go wrong <laughs> yeah exactly so xbox series s it seems like a win for microsoft they really took a blow with halo infinite i would say not a not impressing anybody giving rise to the the brute meme and then, Craig. and then just being straight up delayed, that seemed like a body blow to Microsoft, and it seemed like clear sailing for Sony. And now there are rumors all over the place that Sony is frantically scrambling to change the price, mm. which is like pretty crazy. So it's like, okay, the only thing that Microsoft is missing at this point is games. Yeah, they could use some of those games, Nadia. 
They really could, although you mentioned Game Pass, and that is very enticing because there's still plenty to play uh, in the upcoming months, even as these new systems come out. Uh, it is a blow that they don't have that killer app. Um, do we have any killer apps in store for the PlayStation 5 that we know of? I'm it took like two today. years for a real killer app to come out on PS5. Like It was uh, the same thing yeah. with Xbox One and PS5 where... Yeah, Battlefield 4 and Assassin's Creed Black Flag came out right out, right out of the gate, and they looked quite good. But those first-party exclusives that you just had to have were quite slow in coming. I remember everybody was very excited about Titanfall, and then Titanfall was kind of like, ah, okay, that that was fine, I suppose. Titanfall, um, yeah. That, was, that kind of faded away a little bit. I was listening to old uh, podcasts, and I was kind of under the impression that the current generation didn't really round into form until about 2015 or though or so. Mm. Like the the really really good games weren't really coming out in on both consoles until then. And I get the feeling that the next upcoming console generation won't really be worth it until 2022 or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I'll probably buy these systems because out of pure necessity, but um, I'm not seeing anything that makes me extremely excited to run out there and buy something, especially since Sony is being so coy about what's coming next for them. I'm a little bit worried about that price. I wonder if they really are going around scrambling, fixing things. Uh, they are the kings of two ninety nine, after all. I think that Sony is firmly on the path toward being the PS3 again. <laughs> they certainly are on a path of some sort because they're just not showing anything well as always it's all going to be all about the rpgs for me because i'm going to just be like just give me that starfield and that fable and whatever the heck micro whatever the heck square is working on i'm waiting for them to unveil final fantasy 16 gosh darn it that's kind of the thing like xbox has a good thing going but they still don't have that that japanese like kind of flair that I really love with, with the PlayStation and, and Nintendo systems. Mm. You're just not going to get too many good JRPGs on the Xbox at first. That might change. They might come a lot. They, they usually come a lot later. Like, Nier yeah. Out of Tamata came out like a year later on the Xbox One. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's fine. That's better than what it used to be, which was Zero. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to and see. And none of the I Persona suppose. games are on it either. No, I really think uh, Sony has a lock on Persona, except yeah. Of course, four just slipped out onto the PC, so uh, who knows what we'll see. I think I think Atlas desperately wants to put Persona Five on Switch. I don't blame them. Well, maybe Persona Six will come out in the next console generation after this, because it seems like Persona games take forever to come out these days. They do, and um, I think one way that Sony can really be like, "Hey, guess what? You need this," is if they unveil Final Fantasy Sixteen Number One, and also maybe Final Fantasy Seven uh, Episode Two for the remake. I think it's more important to have the just the killer first-party uh, exclusives, and right now that advantage is firmly with Sony, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's going to take a couple of years for Microsoft's uh, investment in first-party development to really tell. And exactly. in that meantime, and in the meantime, Microsoft's problem continues to be that it is firmly a North American company. Even during its mm. heyday in the Xbox 360 era, the PS3 pretty much, quote-unquote, dominated 
Microsoft in Japan and Europe, like Asia, that kind of thing. So Microsoft has its one continent and then Sony owns everything else. Pretty much, yeah. And um, that was fine in the Xbox 360 era when Japan was still a little bit, you know, we don't know what to do right now. But they've really found their footing. And uh, I've seen some and experienced some great games this generation. And I kind of want to keep that up. Okay, continuing on. The Outer Worlds DLC launched on September 9th. It's called The Perils of Gorgon. And most people are meeting it with kind of a, oh, this is pretty good. Much like Outer Worlds itself. <laughs> So the basic uh, premise, Nadia, is that it is an investigation onto an asteroid, and it's a little got a little bit of a noir flavor to it, and it's a nice self-contained five six hour quest that ultimately wraps up with one of your trademark interesting morally gray choices that you got to make at the end. That also doesn't have much of an impact in the story. You can enjoy uh, Outer Worlds without the DLC. So. Yeah, um, I heard one review. One reviewer call it quite Bioshock ish. Mm, heavy because, Bioshock vibes, which is interesting. Yeah, because the asteroid, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of a, a I don't know if it's a libertarian paradise, but it's a, a some perceived paradise that went terribly wrong, and uh, you got monsters wandering around now, and uh, yeah, and when you say like man, it ends a critique with a, of Rand, Iron Randyism, yeah, how, how modern. <laughs> How very, very 2006 or whenever uh, Bioshock came out. But, well, there's still um, people who buy into that crap, so you might as well uh, critique it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess there's always something to critique about it, especially when you live in Canada. Mm-hmm. And people want their health care, but they don't think they should pay for it. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Outer Worlds. Da-da-da-da-da-da. When I was playing the Outer Worlds on Switch, despite the extreme technical problems with that version, I was like, man, this this is a good game. This is enjoyable. This is a very solid first-person RPG, good presentation, all in all. I would say that I definitely like it better than Wasteland 3, for example. I think the presentation mm-hmm. is very much on another level. And it's just really solidly designed, all told. And this DLC is in very much more of the same. It's just like, if you liked the Outer Worlds, well, here's more. What I would really like (laughs) is for more Outer Worlds, but with a bigger team and a bigger budget. And maybe pushing the boundaries beyond the formula even more so. Because it really seems like the Outer Worlds has fallen into a kind of a comfortable template. uh, Much the same way that Fallout and Skyrim kind of did. And I want them to push it even further. There's so much... Inter- this, this stuff was very exciting and new, maybe in the 90s. <laughs> but there's so much more that you can do with interesting decisions to make, right? Yeah, um, definitely one... I think one discussion we had during uh, our Black Lives Matters uh, stream way back when in June is uh, just the meaning of really meaningful decisions and how so many games that pride themselves on meaningful decisions just utterly lack them. You mentioned, like, Outer Worlds DLC ending in the usual sort of gray choice that doesn't really mean anything, and it's just, eh, come on, we know this is, this. we can surpass this. Let's, let's give it a try. I think a lot about the Far Harbor DLC in Fallout 4, which was excellent, actually. Built on the original story, in a fairly meaningful way. It featured the best character. And 
it let it gave you a lot of different options. In some ways, it was still pretty constructed um, in a little bit of a way that could feel contrived, but I felt like I had a fair amount of freedom within that construct. Mm-hmm. And it was very moody as well. And to me, something like Far Harbor is like the peak of what this particular formula can do. And now you got to start asking yourself, how can we surpass this? Yeah, exactly. It's all about how can we match and surpass this, not just go back to the old, like, old Xbox 360 game choices, which were kind of deep at the time, but not anymore. Continuing onward, uh, THQ Nordic, that company that once did an AMA on 8chan for some reason. Shout out to Mark. Uh, did, has put out Kingdom of Amalur, The Re-Reckoning. <laughs> very clever <laughs> title yeah. right there. That's very, uh, what do you call that? Metal Gear Solid Revengeance. Some months ago, we did a series about RPGs that maybe deserve another chance. And That's right, we yeah. put Com- Kingdom of Amalur, The Reckoning out there. And it's a series that even though it rather infamously completely imploded due to <laughs> reckless and wrong-headed spending on an MMORPG, right. it, it still seems to inspire a lot of fond feelings. I think the problem is, when you revisit a game like Kingdom of Amalur, this particular one, when I said it deserved another chance, I thought I was saying maybe the world was interesting enough and enjoyable enough that it deserved a modern like sequel or update mm-hmm. and this one this is just a remaster not a great remaster either like it, it's fine it's yeah. kind of a reissue i want to say and this yeah. remaster is it feels kind of dated yeah people seem to really kind of latch onto that um that point that it's not really a remake it's barely a remaster there are, if you go onto the Steam page, a lot of negative reviews from people saying, I compared the game side to side, I barely saw a difference. And But anyway, it came out, it was good for its time, it was great for its time, and it just aged very quickly. And um, if you have nostalgic feelings, sure, great. But uh, if you don't, it's not really apparently not really worth jumping into. The, the Kind of the hardcore attitude is very 2012, I feel. Yeah. Oh man, what a it what wants to be fable, but kind of more hardcore. I would say <laughs> fable, but with swear words. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like Todd McFarland as well. Oh God. Yeah, Todd McFarland. And I don't like Todd McFarland, the Todd McFarland aesthetic. So. Yeah, me neither. I've never been a fan. Although I did collect his dragon line. I do like his dragons. I mean, the pedigree is exceptional between Todd McFarland and Ra Salvatore, but. I guess there's just something about this game that didn't particularly grab me. I would probably, in wanting a sequel, would be going for a somewhat more realistic art style and something that's not done by Tom McFarlane, but that's just me. Did you watch the Spawn animated series? I watched that and I liked that, and I was done with Tom McFarlane for a good long time. I saw the Spawn theatrical version in theaters. Did you really? I did. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why either. I, I, I think I caught some of that on TV once, and the CG was so terrible. I remember enjoying it at the time. Well, everyone has that, that phase they go through where they're very moody, and they're like, oh man, look at this. Angels are the bad guys, and the demon is conflicted. He's in hell. He's in hell. Yeah. But maybe when... hell maybe hell has a point, guys. And then when uh, Soul Calibur Two came out a few years later... Uh, do you remember that the each different console version had a special guest star depending on the console? They had Link on the GameCube. Right. 
and Hihachi on the PS2 and then Spawn on the Spawn. Xbox. And that, that to is me such just a matchup. That to me just <laughs> highlighted the differences between the three different consoles. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say like Spawn and Xbox just such a match made in, in heaven or hell. Made, match like. made in hell. Match made in hell. And then they also had Necrid, who wasn't that different from Spawn. I could never really tell the difference between the two. But <laughs> Necrid was OP, is. that was for sure. OP and banned. Everybody always says Soul Calibur 2 was the best one, but and I, I, my, I'm inclined to agree, but you could see the seeds of its downfall in Soul Calibur 2. I was never a huge Soul Calibur fan, so I never really like observed its rise and downfall. I freaking adored Soul Calibur back in the day. Yeah, it was my favorite fighting game by far. And I still have strong, uh, I still have fond feelings for it because I was actually okay at that one. Didn't we play that at the Dreamcast uh, panel that we had at PAX? Were you on that panel? I didn't think you were there. I was there. on that panel. No, I was there. Whoa, I totally forgot. It's like that was you, fun. me, and like the 10 people who showed up. Yeah, that was a fun panel. What, what could we do? We were up against Giant Bomb. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a, I think we had a, a Valkyria profile set that we gave away as a prize. We did. And Valkyria Chronicles. Chronicles, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Valkyria Profile. I'd play that. Yes. Okay. So I, I keep mixing those two up, but we did have Chronicles. We did have Chronicles. And uh, that was a good game. Whoever got it, I hope you enjoyed it. All right. And the last one. So on my stream the other day, I played Star Renegades, Nadia. I don't mm-hmm. have a huge amount to say about this one, but... RPG fans should probably check it out when it comes out on Nintendo Switch, or you can get it on Steam right now. So basically, Star Renegades, Nadia, here's the pitch. It is a roguelite, okay, mm-hmm. that has the Grandia battle system with the timeline okay. and everything, mixed with the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds actually pretty fun. I might give that a try. So every time you die, the monster that kills you becomes more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I keep getting to the final boss of the initial area, and then they prove too strong. So I need to keep rejiggering my party to figure this one out. But as you go, you level up, and then you keep unlocking new party members as you get stronger. And so uh, that helps a lot. So there is a sense of progression, even if you fail on a particular run. Um, right. And the graphics are beautiful, like really, really nice pixel art. And in some ways, yeah. the way that they move the camera and everything reminds me of Octopath Traveler, but better. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested, but I forget when it's coming to Switch. Uh, maybe later this year. It is out on PC right now. So. Right. Oh, sounds pretty cool. I'd probably like it, I think. I like roguelikes that actually let you have some sense of progression. Like, I've never been a fan of Spelunky, for example. It's a little too unforgiving for me. Yeah, it's been one of the nice things about doing this stream is that it's encouraged me to pick up games that I wouldn't otherwise and get away from something like Monster Hunter World. Mm-hmm. Or FIFA. <laughs> or FIFA. Oh my god, <laughs> FIFA's coming to take over my life, Nadia. FIFA will consume you and everything you love. All right, on that note, let's continue on to the holiday RPG preview of 2020. Don't go away.
in all seriousness, I'm a little worried that FIFA is going to take over my life, Nadia, this holiday, just like it always does. It's coming for me. I can feel it. I can feel it. You cannot escape FIFA. Yeah. FIFA will always grab you in the end. Freaking FIFA Ultimate Team with all of its grinding. I always profess to hate <laughs> grinding, but when it comes to Ultimate <laughs> Team, it always gets me. You always get you always get back into it. I sure do. Okay, Nadia, let's talk about the big holiday RPG preview of 2020. Looking at all of the RPGs that are coming out this year, it's going to be a humongous holiday, I think. There is one RPG to rule them all. You can guess what it is. But let's talk about all the other ones first. I think that there is a pretty good swath, uh, depending on... That, that's going to appeal to all types of RPG fans. I think fans of traditional kind of retro RPGs and then the big epic uh, hot, big budget Western RPGs and everything in between. Let's mm-hmm. start with one that I think has the potential to be the sleeper hit of the holiday season, Nadia. This will be the first game in the series that I play seriously. It's Yakuza 7. Yeah, I Yakuza is definitely one of my walls of shame and that I know I would love the games, I would love the writing and the characters, but I have not played any of the games, so I think Yakuza 7 is where I am going to get serious because it is very much an RPG based very strongly around Dragon Quest for reasons of the mechanics and reasons of the the, the story where the main character is very into the whole like, you know, legendary hero storyline. So I feel like this is going to be the the day that I finally take Yakuza seriously. I am curious to see how other people take it because it's a it's a turn-based game, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It with actual like command-based uh, with command-based attacks and everything. It's no longer a beat 'em up. Yeah, and I wonder how established fans will take that. I've noticed that the trailers for Yakuza Seven seem to you seem to skim over that just a bit. I would say that there will be people who vetch about the fact that it's no longer a beat 'em up. But I think the core appeal of Yakuza has always been its characters and its world and its sense of humor and the things that you can do, like the karaoke and everything. And all of that is still in Yakuza 7. So as long as they have all of that, it doesn't necessarily matter that they're going to an RPG-based system. If anything, I would say that the gameplay was the weakest part of Yakuza in the past. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I have watched my husband play it quite a bit, and it is a little bit uh, button mashy from what I can surmise. So I don't mind the change in battle system. As you say, it's all about it's all about the characters, it's all about the humor, it's all about the the weird side quests and uh, little uh, games you can play. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Has a new protagonist as well. Yes, and as much as I love Kiryu, I'm cu- I'm I'm curious about this fellow too. I don't know. I think Kiryu. And his menagerie of characters were always kind of the best, so it makes me a little sad that they're going to be going. Uh, this new guy, he's maybe a little more boisterous. Uh, yes, I, I'm, boyish. I'm a little curious to see how people are going to adapt him. Um, I think I heard, I might be mistaken, but Kiryu, uh, Majima, and, and all of those the happy uh, people are going to be kind of in the background, or, mm-hmm. or they're still going to be present in some regard, but of course you're not playing as them as far as I know. Yeah, this guy just, he's more fun-loving, but with a dark edge to him, I guess, so. Yeah, um, I know he's set up pretty badly, like, from the start of the story, so he's definitely one of those heroes who's, uh, who's, gets crapped on a lot, but has a very cheerful disposition nonetheless, and I, I always have a weakness for those kinds of heroes. 
I think that I trust Yakuza. Like it is, you you want to talk about series that have a formula down pat? Yakuza is definitely one of them. Yes, Yakuza. Yakuza like walks this very fine line between humor and seriousness that I envy as a writer. I can't. I can't get that balance. I, I don't know how they do it. The other reason that I've never really stuck with Yakuza to a great extent is that the cutscenes are really long. <laughs> Yes, it's a very, very wordy game, and it's all... Story's great, character acting is great, but yes, you are going to be sitting through long stretches of disposition, so get ready. I feel like I'm watching a, a Japanese soap opera in a lot of ways when I'm yeah, playing. Yeah, that's exactly that, so. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes it fun. With gangsters. Yes. Gangster soap operas. What more do you need in life? I like Yakuza's Zero, and that's the one that I've always kind of inclined, intended to play through in its entirety. The thing that people really loved about that was its crazy side quests at any given yes. time. And I really hope that Yakuza 7 manages to have that aspect as well. Yeah, me too. I think that's one reason I haven't started Yakuza is because everyone gives you like different answers on where you should start. Oh, you should start at Zero, or you should start at Kiwami. No, I don't know. Just, just, come on, guys. No, just play Zero. But, that's the way yeah, but it's not, like, it, it's not like people are like, oh, you can start with, with either one. It's fine. They're always like... You gotta start with zero, or else you'll die. Or you gotta start with Kiwami, or else they'll take your they'll take your thumbs if you don't. Our mutual friend Reb started with Yakuza Zero while she was visiting in San Francisco, and oh, cool. she like was completely in love with it. And she was wondering which one to play next. And I was like, "Well, play Kiwami next." But I mean, it's all downhill from here. And she's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really like. Again, I haven't played the games, but from what I understand, it really kind of was fantastic with Kiwami and Zero. And not to say the other games are bad by any means, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So Yakuza 7, I think that Yakuza 7, if it ends up being well-received, it's going to be a next-gen launch title on the Xbox mm-hmm. Series X. And I think that it could end up being one of those kind of breakout hits. Uh, or at the very least, it's enough of a cult audience that it's going to a lot of people are going to be talking about it this holiday season and it could very well fit pretty closely into our best rpgs of the year ranking yeah and i also think that you just mentioned the next generation and how it's launching alongside that i think that's going to be a big uh, reason for people who just got the xbox to kind of pick it up and, and have something to play while they're waiting for halo and the rest of it I think it's interesting that, so the series has always been kind of RPG adjacent, right? Where mm-hmm. it relied so heavily on its side missions and exploration and everything. And it had abilities and everything. That's why I always felt kind of reasonably comfortable talking about it, because it clearly had so much basis in RPG history. But it's interesting to see them go full RPG with this one. Yes, this is definitely one of those cases where um, there is no shadow of a doubt we will be talking about Yakuza 7. It qualifies. Here's one that there is a little more of a shadow of a doubt. It's another big game. You could say that it's an RPG question mark, RPG elements, and that is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And again, this might be the first Assassin's Creed I play seriously, Nadia. I'm still on the fence about it. I am definitely curious. It's a matter of how much time I have and how much energy I have to dedicate to so many big games coming out in the fall. Because Assassin's Creed has always been one of those series where I'm like, oh, yeah, I like it, it's fine. But I've never been like, oh my god, I gotta get this game. Although I do like the fact that Valhalla has that Viking theme. I know it's overdone, but I still love the Viking themes. 
Mike is always the one who likes the Assassin's Creed games. I'm the one who, every time I've, I should like it because I love historical backdrops. Like, I should have loved yeah. Assassin's Creed 3 because it was against, set against the American Revolution. I'm like, oh, what a cool idea. I would love to play a game set in the American Revolution. But it ended up boring the crap out of me. Interesting. <laughs> what about, um, yeah, you weren't interested in Odyssey because that was more of a Greek myth. Uh... Yeah, I'm not big into Greek myth. Even I've played God of War. I enjoyed it ultimately. Mm-hmm. But Greek myth doesn't particularly do anything for me. So I wasn't extremely interested in picking up what in some ways felt like cut rate Witcher 3 set in Greek, Greece. <laughs> Ouch. I've always been like a huge fan of Greek myth just because I spent so much of my childhood reading the myths that they, they're just ingrained in me, even though I know they're overdone. The thing that's interesting about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, everybody ended up loving Cassandra. Apparently yes. she was originally intended to be the only character, the sole heroine of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Ubisoft vetoed those plants chicken they chickened out yeah that ubisoft's not been having a great year nadia <laughs> they have not oh goodness gracious they have not what a what a disgraceful year for them i maybe they'll bounce back i mean i have friends who work at ubisoft and i really feel for them so for that re- for their hope for their uh benefit i hope they smarten up fly right but we'll have to see it's not surprising to me in the least that Ubisoft would be accused of being incredibly cynical and extremely sexist in the way it markets everything because it just oozes out in their marketing for games like The Division and Ghost Recon Breakpoint and Assassin's Creed where they just go, well, we're going to give gamers exactly what they want because we know it's going to make money, and we don't really care if it's really kind of gross or exploitive or cynical. Yeah, they are definitely a bit like that. Um, it's a shame. And uh, I've been to their offices in, in Quebec, and uh, their creaky-ass floors, the haunted floors. And mm. uh, <laughs> I always enjoyed myself there, but it's uh, it's always about upper management, isn't it? It's always that those people in charge who make all the calls. And unfortunately... Nerd culture is, is can be quite toxic. Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened at the end of Odyssey, where it was just like, yeah, she could be gay, but then she ends up having a baby. And she has a baby. Yeah. <laughs> because. With, with, with a dude, sure. But Assassin's Creed Valhalla, now, this is the one that, I'll admit, grabbed my attention, because I am more interested in the Viking elements than I am necessarily in Greek myth, and... You know, they're going full Viking. They're going... They don't even care anymore. They're just like, yeah, they're like <laughs> Norse gods and stuff, whatever. Here, Here's Odin. Enjoy. It's basically the Witcher. Who cares? Yeah, and they, they know what they are, I suppose. And, uh, well... It's, I mean, Ubisoft it's just doing... They're always going to steal from every from other but better publishers. That's well, what they're going to do. Because uh, they don't have a creative bone in their body. Immortals, Phoenix Rising basically Breath of the Wild to the point that the trailer, I looked at that trailer and said, wow, you just stole, straight up stole shots from Breath yeah. of the Wild's trailer. That's crazy. But I do know that Assassin's Creed uh, uh, Valhalla, sorry, is going to have uh, the scope and it's going to be at least an interesting approximation of The Witcher 3. And yeah. there'll be a lot of very talented folks working on it. So I'm like, oh, fine, you got me. I guess I'll play this one. Yeah, I'll have to, again, I'll have to see where I am and what I'm playing at the time, because we have so many big games coming out, and uh, 
God, I still got to do Witcher 3 one of these days. It sounds like they're toning <laughs> down the RPG aspects a little bit. So mm-hmm. there's this big conflict between Assassin's Creed fans where there are people who prefer the very old, boring versions that came out in 2007 to like 2014, they're about up until Syndicate. And then there are the people who like the newer, better uh, RPG versions. Do you know which side I'm on? The one that you called better? <laughs> Just a hint. Um, well, Mike could go on a big rant about this. Um, there's this aspect called like the hidden blade, where people will uh, talk about how they are annoyed that if you can get a, a critical strike, right? Mm-hmm. But if they were a way higher level than you, it wouldn't matter because they wouldn't go down, right? Because it's an RPG. Well, it right. sounds like they're definitely mitigating that and trying to strike a balance with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which makes me side-eye it a little bit. <laughs> what you really got to do if you have an episode where I'm away or something, just get just get Mike in here, put him in front of a microphone, and say, okay, talk about Assassin's Creed. Just vent everything that you, that you like, like and hate about let's it. Let's just keep watering it down more and more, you know, so. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's definitely somewhere on the lower half of my anticipation list for 2020's holiday season. Yeah, looks fine. Um, it's weird. Like, there was a lot of anticipation when it was first announced, and now it doesn't... I'm, I'm not picking up as much hype for AC Valhalla. Maybe because of what's yeah. going on with Ubisoft right now. That doesn't that doesn't help. Um, it might ignite again when it comes out. We'll have to see. I'm sure it'll look amazing on PS5 slash Xbox Series X. Oh, yeah. It's going to be gonna an early gorgeous. showcase, much like Black Flag was. Yes, definitely. So, uh, if nothing else, it'll probably sell some hardware. Okay, let's switch over to the Japanese side of things. Uh, let's start with an RPG that I don't think is going to be out this year. That's Bravely Default 2, which does not have a release yet date yet. And I, we haven't heard basically anything about it, and I'm starting to wonder if it's just going to get delayed until 2021. Was it supposed to? It was supposed to come out this year, wasn't it? Yes. And no, you're, you're right. We haven't heard anything about it since the demo came out. That was a long time ago. That was mm-hmm. spring, I think. So... Yeah, there's a good chance it's delayed until 2021, and it could be because of the demo, which um, I enjoyed it, but uh, the Bravely team takes their feedback very seriously. They did that with the original uh, Bravely Default, Knowledge Path Traveler. You have people play the games and and give them all their feedback, and they analyze it, and they kind of adjust things accordingly. So if that's what they're doing for uh, Bravely Default 2, I'm fine with that. And uh, the game will be better for it. And there's plenty to keep me company this holiday season anyway. And you played the demo, right? Yes, I did. It was actually very difficult. Um, They made the demo more difficult on purpose. But yes, I did play it. It was definitely Bravely Default. Uh, I love Bravely Default, so I was good with that. And uh, yeah. It's still very old school, very grindy, is the thing that I was kind of given to understand yes it is still like there was some grinding involved because again they made the enemy so difficult mm-hmm. but i don't know if that's what, what the final product will be like and of course Bravely default has always been very good about letting you set your own pace if you want to turn off random encounters you can turn them off i don't remember if that's the case with the new one but that's kind of a hallmark of the series uh you can really speed up battles and put them on auto if you really need to do grinding and that's that's actually kind of fun but uh yeah, you're right. We haven't really heard anything about Bravely since the demo. And uh, it's definitely one of those games where I'm like, well, I'll, I'll hear more about it when I hear more about it, I guess. 
doesn't seem like the graphics are an appreciable leap over what Bravely Default was on the 3DS. Like, it looks a little bit budget. Yeah, it's uh, definitely... Well, it's always had that kind of cutesy, cupid doll look to it, which probably doesn't help Which very is a much, function of could... the platform and the technological limitations, but the yeah, Switch exactly. is a much more powerful console. So it could be even that they're delaying it because... Maybe people, I don't, I actually didn't read the feedback if there was any that they shared, but it could be that people said, well, you know, this doesn't look as good as it could. The towns look very cool, but uh, the characters still, yeah, kind of have that low poly look to them. So that might be even something else they're addressing with, uh, if they're going to delay this. It would help Nintendo for sure if Bravely Default 2 came out, because it's been a very slow year for the Nintendo Switch outside of Animal Crossing, and there's not really anything coming out this fall. Well, there's Hyrule Warriors. I don't... I mean, if that's your temple release, that's a problem. Yeah, they have the Mario collection as well. It's not exactly the, the biggest, grandest holiday season so they've ever had. So, a collection of ROMs and Hyrule Warriors. They're not ROMs. They've, they've, they uh, they have remastered the games. I know. But it's, <laughs> it's as good as... Come on. It's going to be a very bare-bones package. Yeah, but still, Nintendo's not going to have problems this Christmas season. They've sold so many Switches that I don't... I don't know if maybe they're having the hardest time with the the COVID adaptations, but uh, even though they're not going to have the flashiest holiday season, they're they're still going to have a, a solid one. I know that they're going to do fine. They have huge shortages on the Nintendo Switch. It's still a very popular platform, and there are still plenty of games for it for the most part. It's just like those marquee games. Like, if you got Hyrule Warriors as your best game and Pikmin 3 and the Mario 3D collection, it's like, ooh, it's a weak holiday. Sorry. It's fine. It's not great, but it's not horrible. I mean, No, it's actually uh, horrible, Nadia. I think it's really no, bad. No, I don't think it's horrible. It's fine. What is horrible, it's then? Nothing at all. There was that time they launched the GameCube with, like, you know, as much as I love the Luigi's Mansion. The GameCube Mansion, had an amazing launch, launch. What are you talking about? Between Rogue Leader, Smash Brothers Melee. Does Smash Brothers Melee launch with the Switch? It it was in the launch window. It was out that fall. Okay, I guess that's fair. Yeah. And Rogue Leader, too, and Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, it was great. It was a great Well, Luigi's Mansion was great, but it was not exactly a great launch title. Come on. Pikmin's boring. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What I really want. I know a lot of people people like Hyrule Warriors, too, but... What I want, actually, like instead of Pikmin, someone bring Little King's story onto the Switch, please. Nah. That's Pikmin, except not boring. Nah. Yeah. Nah. That's a great game. I love don't that care. game so much. <laughs> you don't care, but I care. Just I like I don't King's care about story. Hyrule Warriors. I don't care. People are very excited Warriors. about that game for some reason. People have decided that the Warriors games are good, and I don't understand. Well, Hiran actually says that Scramble actually is more than just a typical Mosu. So Nintendo is really kind of working with uh, Bandai, not Bandai Namco, Tecmokoi with this game and making it like a very important part of the Zelda series story, like making it canon. So I I am definitely curious. I'm not the biggest Mosu fan in the world, but I I will play this. I do think that the new Breath of the Wild Warriors got a very positive response, and I'm sure it'll sell well. And I'm sure. As a tentpole release, it's a little bit weak, but I don't know. I think the biggest upset of this generation is that somehow Koei Tecmo became a respected development house. My understanding is that (laughs) 
most of three most of the good stuff about three houses is down to koei tecmo believe it or not you know what they actually worked on dragon quest builders too and that was one of my favorites last year that was an excellent game yeah like at some point they became good good for them yeah, no, honestly, good for them. Before, I just thought of them as like a warehouse that churns out uh, Dynasty games. But no, they they are a good, solid development studio, apparently. To quote Homer, they came to life. Good for them. <laughs> good for them. I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, every couple has those pointless uh, Simpsons quotes they communicate with. All right, continuing on with the Japanese RPG side of things. This is a big one. This one is actually coming out on like Bravely Default 2, in my opinion. Trails of Cold Steel 4, Nadia, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for Trails of Cold Steel 4? Yeah, I'd say an 8. Okay. It's had a, uh, a, 3 has a really good cliffhanger that I won't really spoil. I mean, it is, Trails is Trails. It, they all very much play the same, and you are following the same characters. It is very much like playing through a, an epic fantasy series, which is a nice feeling. I really like that when so many... So many developers kind of reset their their lore with every with every game in a series, and this one uh, three has like characters from Trails in the Sky who join you and they're kind of grown up and they fight alongside you and uh, yeah, it's just uh, going to be like the last big loving for uh, Trails of Cold Steel, and I'm curious to see what comes next after that. And also, Ease Nine is coming out as well. We need more games like Trails of Cold Steel for. Just like the kind of uh, real meaty, huge ones that go on forever and are linked together, and you know, kind These of really epic appeal to the RPG audience. series. That's yes. almost like reading a series of epic novels. Yes, that's one thing I really like about Trails is it really takes me back to the days when I used to read a lot of Dragonlance and other like really interconnected fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. You don't get that very often with games. But it's kind of rough to just pick it up straight from Trails of Cold Steel, right? It is. Story-wise, I mean, they have, like, story summaries that you can read. And, of course, there's wikis galore that can fill you in. But since Trails games all play quite similarly, and you won't find, like, huge upgrades from game to game, uh, the remastered version of Trails of Cold Steel for the PS4 is perfectly fine. It's a great game. You start there and just play your way on through. But the people who only have a Nintendo Switch are a bit screwed. Yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, you can only get Trails 3 on Switch. And what a shame you can't get the other ones because it's such a perfect Switch game. I, I am mad about that. Get on Vita. Uh, yeah, Vita means life. You can do that. So it seems like your best bet is just to play the entire series straight through on PS4. I would think so, yeah. You can uh, get all the games on PS4. Just play them one after another. Uh, goodbye to Say goodbye to like a year of your life because they're not short games. But... Um, they, they, they are quite structured, and they feed you a very long story, and there's a lot of exposition. But um, And sometimes you have the, the goofy super anime characters who are just like, okay, get out of my face, please. But for the most part, you'd be surprised how like political and involved the stories are. Okay, wrapping up the Japanese RPG side. Square Enix is fairly quiet this holiday season, though there are some games that look to be coming out in November and December, like kind of smaller releases. There's a collection of Saga, which we've already talked about, which, mm-hmm. eh, you know. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, they had that amazing collection of Mana release, and this one is definitely a downgraded version that's kind of using mobile phone assets and that kind of thing. 
Not a lot less yeah. love put into it. Oh, definitely a lot less love put into it. It's uh, it's there, and it's a shame because it's th- these games on the Game Boy were great for their time. They still have a lot of merit, but they're really, really ripe for upgrading in, in meaningful ways, and I don't think that's happening. We have Dragon Quest XI-S coming out on the mm-hmm. PS4 and PC, but it's basically the Switch version, question mark? That's the that's the impression I have. So you are getting the Switch graphics, which, to be fair, are still fantastic. It, I've said before that Dragon Quest S is one of the best port jobs I've seen. Um, someone explained it, might have been John Linneman, about how it would be super difficult for Square Enix to take all that extra content they have for S on the Switch and just find a way to to have it like in that in those high res PS4 graphics and just kind of make that happen. So what you're getting is basically a port of the Switch version. I'm sure it'll look great, but just kind of be aware of what you're getting visually. I would still recommend it over the original, just because there's so much fun stuff that they added. And finally, we have Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, which Yay. not only has <laughs> a lot of good music from Kingdom Hearts, one thing I will say about Kingdom Hearts is that like, the game itself just has some fantastic uh, music, like uh, like Dearly Beloved and that kind of thing. It does, yeah. I do agree with that. And I think Katie's excited for this. But also, it'll have Disney tracks, if you're a Disney fan, like Let It Go. If you haven't... No, of course you'll have it, Let It Go. If it hasn't already been beaten into your head. I still like it, but I can't... I try, the problem with it is I try to sing it, and I really can't, because I'm an alto. Talking about... <clears throat> Uh, seeing Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory and then also having our conversation the other day about our favorite Final Fantasy tracks makes me want to mm-hmm. plug in Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy again. Me too. I keep meaning to go back to that game. I have the second one. And man, I, I love those games. I just When I saw them the first time, I was like, okay, this is kind of stupid. What is this? But no, they're they're fun. And it just reminds me of how great the the, the music is for these games. I did have a friend who said she wishes the theatrics were a little more involved. Like, she said she wanted to do, like, Waltz for the Moon and maybe have Riona slip and put her heel through through uh, Squall's eye or something. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that. A couple of notes. Uh, I said the Nintendo Switch is going to have a week holiday, but there are a couple of things that might give it a little bit of a boost. One is Sheer in the Water is out on December 2nd. This is a port of a game that's, like, a decade old at this point. But a lot of people are big fans of this particular version. It's coming on Nintendo Switch. And I saw Sheer in the Wander being played in a Game Center CX, and I was like, oh, this looks like a really fun game. I kind of want to play it. I love the art style. Isn't it? Uh, it's a roguelike, isn't it? It is. It's one of the roguelikes. Good, that going back a long way. Going back to the Super Famicom, at least. So. Yeah, so in other words, it'll punish you severely for any mistakes. Yes, but it has this beautiful feudal Japan look to it. Oh, and it was played on, on Game Center uh, CX, huh? Yeah, and he beat it. So if Arano can he did. beat it, I can beat it. Oh, well, there you go. Poor Arano. He must have had like a million of those cloths stuck to his forehead. <laughs> he did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would. The other one is the Crown Tundra DLC coming to Pokemon Sword and Shield. And I've, yes. I finally finished Pokemon Sword and Shield. I have a full party. I am... Mostly looking forward to being able to import more of my Pokemon and to be able to get Galar versions of the legendary birds. 
I am really looking forward to those birds. I love the, the cassowary Zapdos. That's just, like, amazing to me. I want that so bad. I like Articuno. Articuno is one of my absolute favorites. I don't think that Sword and Shield will suddenly make it viable, but I wouldn't mind an upgraded version. Would you put our uh, Would you put Articuno back in your party if uh, if they did? One one hundred percent. That would be the one yeah. that I would be flying around on. Except they don't have Fly HM anymore. Whatever. No, but they do follow you on the map now. I wonder if it'll be even more on the uh, in the DLC. I do kind of miss riding the Pokemon like you did and. Let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee. Speaking of Game Center CX, uh, there's a I just saw the interview that they did with Satoshi Tajiri, where uh, Arino goes to a Pokemon tournament from Ruby and Sapphire circa 2003 and plays against like eight year olds and loses to them. <laughs> he probably got squashed. I don't feel bad, Arino. I'd be like squashed in two seconds. They were playing on Pokemon Coliseum. Oh my god, Nadia, the nostalgia. I was getting so many oh, feels watching people standing around with GBA SPs and playing on Col- uh-huh. Coliseum. And then he actually goes to the Pokemon office and Tajiri tells a story. It's genuinely really fascinating. That sounds pretty cool. I did not know that he was involved with Yoshi, like the Yoshi puzzle game. Oh, really? Yeah. like That's interesting. That was one of the first projects that he worked on for Nintendo before uh, moving on to Pokemon. Oh, wow. So, so that's, a, that's a real warm-up. So our Satoshi Tajiri uh, info. And you know how they pick the Pokemon? How? They pick the Pokemon by the way his philosophy when coming up with Pokemon was basically these Pokemon have to have currency. Like, they have to be something that you want. Mm-hmm. And so that was so they came up with ways to differentiate them, but also he had everybody, every member of the staff come up with their dream Pokemon, like the Pokemon uh-huh. that they would want the most. And right. eventually they came up with like three hundred ideas, and then they did a vote in the office for the hundred fifty best, and that's how wow. you got the original hundred fifty one. So you got to kind of have to wonder, like someone out there just really loves uh, exec uh, executor that really weird palm tree thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, Executor is an iconic look, right? I mean, it's a Pokemon yeah. style that's stuck around in like the Alola region and stuff. The Alola region is actually brilliant. I love that grow up it gets. Let's wrap up with a couple of final biggies. Nadia, first is the WoW Shadowlands. It's a big World of Warcraft expansion. I'm getting kind of mixed signals on this one. Mike could probably tell tell more. People seemed very excited about it for a while, and they're like really hoping that it could bounce back from Battle for Azeroth, which is widely seen as kind of a disappointing and broken expansion. Mm-hmm. And Shadowlands has a little bit of that uh, energy from the one that featured Illidan, in that it features Sylvanas. She's my favorite character from Warcraft 3. She's the elf that gets turned into an undead. She's cool. Yes, yeah. So I, I've seen her in the trailers and stuff. I know who she is. She's pretty cool. Yeah, she has no pun intended. She has a major role to play in WoW Shadowlands. And it's like, okay, cool. They're definitely digging into the lore and this nostalgia. But uh, World of Warcraft fans are now getting super annoyed about some of the systems. Surprise, surprise. So they're like, <laughs> Blizzard must fix all of this, etc., etc. It's the it's a never ending cycle of life with a fe- with a game like this with a live service game. Yeah. That can't be helped, but I do have to wonder what, geez, what, what which, which which award show was it at this point? I don't, they're all blended together, but they showed us like that fifteen minute trailer that went meant nothing to someone who hasn't played the game. That was 
boring as hell. I'm just amazed that World of Warcraft is still going after 15 years. I like. I would have thought that it'd be basically dead after five, like five years ago. But nope, still going. Yeah, still, go- you're still gonna all have your people who really are dedicated to their characters, and they're not gonna leave. I mean, heck, there's a lot of uh, older RPGs than it that are still going. Uh, I always say Ragnarok Online. That's still going. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that I I thought that it was gonna be finished like. Seven years ago, it's like 2014. I was like, ah, wow, meh, whatever. And now it's 2020. Yeah. It's like, nope, still putting out expansions. Yeah, still going, and probably will still keep going for a while. I don't know if they're still hemorrhaging players. They must be. I can't. I mean, how do you gonna... keep so many people? Right. I mean, I think the thing you with can't. WoW is that it's just going to settle settle into this stabilized area where people will always be coming and going. Yeah, definitely. It's always going to have its subscriber base, but it's probably always going to have from now on a very hard time finding new subscribers especially when Square is basically giving away Final Fantasy 14 at this point I don't know um, I think there are plenty of people who you can play a large chunk of World of Warcraft for free and there's so much content true to go through that it can just be one of those things where you're like yeah but I'm going to I have this game that I can just play and really get into it you know, that has such a strong history, as it were. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I do think Blizzard would have a much better chance if they actually had more non-World of Warcraft games coming out. There actually mm-hmm. were Warcraft and didn't suck. <laughs> like, well, the Diablo 4 is under development. Yeah, but that's not Warcraft, is it? No, is but it? Diablo is very popular and is definitely relevant to the interests of this podcast. Oh, no. What I mean is, like, if you have... Okay, Final Fantasy fourteen is ongoing, and there's always there are new Final Fantasy games coming out that renew interest in the series all the time. Sure. Whereas Warcraft, what have we had? We had that remake that nobody liked. It was very bad. Yeah, exactly. So if they want, so what to you're saying is they should make Warcraft four the game of the year, twenty twenty five. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I totally agree with you, Nadia. They should make Warcraft four. But unfortunately, it seems like Blizzard has been fully assimilated by Activision. and It really does. They are just kind of, I don't know, they seem to have hemorrhaged a lot of talent. And like their concepts are getting kind of weaker and weaker. It makes me a little bit sad. Yeah, they are. Ex- the, the Blizzard side has become extremely corporate. I mean, they were always corporate, of course, but they're just like now kind of just been consumed by Activision. And a lot of that creativity and spark has been kind of dimmed a bit. Yeah, they need to, they need a injection of fresh blood fresh blood fresh young virgin blood Blood for the blood god all the blood for the blood god yeah i think blizzard just needs some fresh franchises you know and they should be maybe i I think that they have an opportunity so they did a great job moving into the shooter space and they Mm -hmm. already have the looter concept with diablo can they do more of a traditional rpg i bet they could yeah, they could. They probably could easily, but I worry about where they would take it because I, I remember Overwatch had this huge fandom just of like mostly women, to be frank with you, who loved the the, the lore and the characters, and they played all the time. And then they turned it into an esport, and all that fan hype just kind of dissipated to this you know competitive field that they don't really want to be part of, and it's a shame. And I'd hate to see them do the same thing with well any franchise really. Not just an esport, but a bad esport. Exactly. It just did not work well. I don't think they would do that with an RPG. I, would, I don't think you'd have to worry about an esport. I would worry about loot boxes. 
Exactly. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about like loot boxes and and someone going back to Ubisoft for a second. Someone described uh, Phoenix Rising as Breath of the Wild with loot boxes, and I just felt so depressed when I read that. <laughs> well, I think Wild Shadowlands will be fine. Wild Classic was very well received. It ended up being a That's win true. for World of Warcraft for Blizzard, but it's just another example of Blizzard relying more and more heavily on their history. I feel. I mean. Mm-hmm. You saw how they put out like their biggest success in recent years is Wild Classic, and yeah. oh, even Wild Shadowlands is kind of more of a nostalgia play than it is an actual like pushing things forward kind of play. Yeah, so I would like to see just a simple new RPG for them because I, even though I'm not like the biggest hugest Blizzard fan, I do very much like their character designs and their arts and their set pieces. They have a very distinct, enjoyable style that I really like. And I'd like to see an RPG kind of done like that. Yeah, they had so much momentum at the beginning of the decade between Hearthstone and Overwatch, and that's just gone now. Yeah, I'm really sad about that, and I really hope they get some of it back. All right, it's the big one. The game that could be... It's one of the biggest games in the past couple years. There hasn't been a game as big as it since Red Dead Redemption 2, I feel. I think that CD Projekt, it, it will either propel CD Projekt into the stars or sinking to hell or something like that. But <laughs> whatever they said, whatever Nintendo said that one time. Cyberpunk 2077, which is going to be humongous. A lot of people are going to buy it just on the strength of the reputation of The Witcher 3. I hope that it's going to be really good. <laughs> Because if it's gonna, yeah. if it ends up being just okay, it's gonna get so much hate. It really is. It can't be just okay. It has to be fantastic. I am curious to see how I will receive it. For all I know, I will absolutely love it. Like I did not expect to fall in love with Red Dead Redemption Two, but I did. So who knows? I realized that there was something that was bugging me about it when I was watching a lot of trailers in the run up to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It looks a little bit too much like GTA. Hmm, yeah, I can see where that complaint comes from. Like, so I was seeing a lot of, they show a lot of scenes of you sitting with this really annoying guy who looks like he could be from <laughs> GTA, who is... Let's give, go boiling cousin. Giving you all of your, giving you all of your jobs and everything, right? Right. And yeah. you're sitting, I think at one point you're sitting in a club and like there are these girls around and he's like, let's go on this mission. And I'm like, this is straight out of GTA, okay? I don't want to hang out with people like you. Exactly. I don't want to hang out with people like you. I think that's one of the reasons I actually did turn and love Red Dead Redemption 2 so much is because I love the characters and the really screwed up Vanderlyn family who tried their mm. best to their great detriment. I don't really want to hang out with an edgelord GTA character. Yeah, that was my big problem with GTA 5 was... I should have actually ended up liking that game, except that I hated the characters so much. And that was part of the point, is they were supposed to be reprehensible, but I didn't yeah, want to spend any time in their skin. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to spend time in your skin. Do you, do you want to spend time with these characters? Maybe Keanu Reeves will save us all. Who knows? <laughs> I hope so. That's the thing. I hope so. Uh, I mean, Cyberpunk's world looks beautiful. and It does. I Just the shots of you driving around in the car looks super great uh the the gunplay looks really fun like the actual action of it looks terrific 
It looks like a combination of Deus Ex and Fallout, and it looks better than either of them by a fair mm-hmm. measure. So mm-hmm. that alone makes me go, okay, okay. I'm like cautiously optimistic. I just, I, I trust CD Projekt's uh, writing. I trust the production right. values. It's going to have a humongous budget. It's going to be a huge world to explore. I I just hope that, you know, success hasn't gone to their head. This is a big test, I think. Exactly. This is, as I say, a big test. This is their first real test since Witcher 3. And Witcher 3 was like a, Witcher 3 was to the point that it inspired Nintendo. That's how good it was. So we'll have to see if this surmounts it or surpasses it or matches it. But it can't be any less than Witcher 3. I think when you think back to Witcher 3, what was successful about it was that it had an interesting and beautiful fantasy world to explore. It felt very grounded. And the characters, well, were really well realized. And it helped that they were lifted straight from the books in a lot of respects. But then also I had just some absolutely fabulous emotional side quests. Some of them very dark. A lot of the times it was exploring relationships and everything. The relationship between Geralt and Ciri was super heartfelt. It... I worry that Cyberpunk 2077 will be missing that emotional component. I hope they really capture mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think that's extremely important mm-hmm. to, to capture that emotional uh, that emotional power because I'm, I'm worried that maybe the world will come off as a little too sterile and, and miss that emotional Not component. Not even sterile, of- like edgelordy. Exactly, like because yeah. oh, we can't have feelings here. This is this is cool guy land, you know. At the same time, like we were watching the the trailer for Watchdog Legions, and yeah. like everybody was kind of complaining about the super neon drenched purple and uh, hot pink and neon green kind of look that's just weirdly obnoxious and off putting. I agree. Yeah, and the 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 term we coined for it was corporate punk. Corporate punk, that's exactly it. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I get a little bit of that vibe from cyberpunk as well. So do I. Like, I want cyberpunk's story, especially with this world we live in, to talk about rebellion and resistance, and I don't know if we're going to get that. And that worries me a bit. But at the same time, when I look at those trailers, I gotta say, Bethesda better step up its game. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad. It looks fine. It looks fantastic. It looks beautiful. We, We got that down. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure it'll sound great too. The thing is, I so I have to play this game when it comes out. Like I, I, Same, I definitely don't want to delay. But uh, it's yeah. also kind of a game that I want to be able to play. I, I'm worried that it's not going to be great on current gen consoles. Like that is a game that mm-hmm. you want to wait to play on next gen console, and it's not going to be out right away for next gen console. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about because I still got my trusty old PS4. I have my Xbox. And I don't have any plans to upgrade right away, so I have to see how it'll run on my poor little PlayStation 4, which will surely turn into a jet and take off with those fans. It's a game you definitely want to play on Xbox Series X or a high-end PC. Yeah, and uh, I don't really have either of those options. I think my PC could run Cyberpunk, just maybe not on max settings. Exactly, yeah, you might have to knock it down to potato. I mean, the rumor is that... It was barely running on current gen consoles. That like those. Mm, that, so I, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. expecting long load times and like frame rate drops and everything. 
saying, pausing when things are loading, and uh, I can deal with it as long as it's not, like, too distracting. Thankfully, in our current next-gen future, it looks like I'll be able to just buy Cyberpunk, play it on Xbox, and then bring Xbox, like, Series X, and then bring my save over to the next-gen Xbox. I, I play it on my Xbox One X, continue on to Xbox Series X when the next-gen version comes out. Because I doubt I will yeah. be fully finished it with, with it by the time Series X no, comes out. No, I'm sure, yeah. Not only will you not be finished with it, I'm sure there'll be DLC. There'll be plenty for your new-gen console to do. Yeah, by all accounts, they're going to have even more DLC than Witcher 3 had. Like, mm-hmm, Which is crazy because the two gigantic DLC episodes you know, are kind of held up as the gold standards, so... This is going to be a game that's supported for a long time. Yeah, and uh, hopefully it works out for City Project Red. So yeah, I mean, the ceiling of Cyberpunk is that it is not only the game of the year, but a game of the generation kind of game. And mm-hmm. a truly monumental release that ends up influencing the next decade. The floor is that it is just kind of like everybody goes, eh, it's not as good as Witcher 3. It's fine. Right. Yeah. Then you have a problem. <laughs> and it's kind of edge lordy. I mean, I don't yeah. think it's. I don't think it can be a total disaster. I think. No. No. It, I don't, I, think I don't see any world where it gets less than a ninety on Metacritic. Right. No. No. I see what you mean. I. I know what you mean by that. But it could still not hit that Witcher standard, and it's always going to be remembered for not being as good as Witcher three. Yeah. So if that happens. Well, I mean, but when you. But when you hit those highs, you know, good luck reaching them again, you know? Yeah, that's the that's problem with success, isn't it? <laughs> sure is. <laughs> Why try? All right, Nadia, how are you feeling about holiday 2020 for RPGs? It looks like a pretty strong spread, I would say. It is a strong spread. I am, you know, quite excited. I am, uh, there's a lot of stuff here I'm not quite sure about yet. Uh, we just talked about a lot of Cyberpunk. question marks, aren't there? A lot of question marks, exactly. I don't think Bravely Default is coming out this holiday unless a miracle happens. I know Trails will be Trails. I'm sure it'll be great, and I know it already that's a lock-in. Wow, I don't really care about that much. Um, yeah, it's mostly about uh, Yakuza Seven and Cyberpunk for me. Maybe Assassin's Creed. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I think that Cyberpunk and yeah. Yakuza 7 are heads and shoulders above the rest of the offerings on this list. I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about the Crown Tundra DLC, and I will definitely be playing it. But I'm basically marking my calendar until Cyberpunk 2077 comes out and I can stream it. (laughs) Do you have, like, the shaky hand like Homer had when he was keeping up drinking? (laughs) Okay. Crossing out the X's. I'm not... I've had... I'll be honest. I'm more excited about Star Wars Squadrons than I am Cyberpunk. But... That's fair. That's hard, because also Star Wars Squadrons is a game that I've been literally waiting for 25 years to play, so there's a little bit of a difference. Yeah, yeah no, that's understandable. I'm just going to be so disappointed when, I, when Star Wars Squadrons comes out. <laughs> I'm just setting myself <laughs> up for disappointment. Well, you you played it already, didn't you? A little bit I did. On the I, I really enjoyed it. I was super mad when they made me stop. <laughs> like, okay, cat, now we're taking And then they like, had a beta the, the weekend, and... Uh-huh. There was a tech problem, and I wasn't able to get back into it, and I was just grumpy the whole weekend. <laughs> it's like being a kid again, and you can't get the Nintendo because your dad's watching baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but there's less than a month until it comes out, and I am just praying and praying and praying that it's going to keep me going for the rest of the year. Like, I'm so excited. 
That, that's my most anticipated RPG of 2020, Star Wars Squadrons. Star Wars. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Will your computer be able to handle it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, the game is not that technically advanced, let's be honest. Right. Like, I, I, I played it. I saw the graphics in that thing. It looks good. It mm-hmm. looks good enough. But good they enough. use a lot yeah. of particle effects to cover up the fact that the actual models are not that detailed. Right. Yeah. And I'm playing and you have... I'm playing Monster Hunter World with settings cranked to max without any problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Like my So yeah, that's a good that's a good indicator. My the only thing my computer straight up can handle is flight simulator. And ah, pretty much nothing can. can handle flight simulator at this <laughs> nothing point. Can handle that except Maybe whatever computer runs Brainiac over on Krypton. I don't think I could play Red Dead Redemption 2 with max settings. Because... Probably not. Huge open world games are going to make my processor, like, start to sweat. My processor is quite old. (laughs) But a game like (laughs) Star Wars Squadrons, no problem. Okay, so yeah, I can understand why you're looking forward to that. Because as you say, you've been waiting for that for like 20 years. And you have a a whole yoke set up, don't you? I sure do. I'm going to be streaming the heck out of it. Oh, that's going to be fun. All right, Nadia, that is our holiday RPG preview of 2020. We picked our most anticipated RPGs. What's your most anticipated RPG? Drop me a line at cat.bailey.usgamer.net or send me a DM on Twitter. And, of course, leave a comment on our show notes and we may read your responses on the next episode of the podcast. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the track of the week. All right, let's talk about the track of the week. This one is from a guest contributor who wants to stand for Lunar, Nadia. This is from Ben. Ah, I would like to nominate the opening theme from Lunar as a future track of the week. It's super catchy. It's among the earliest instances I recall of an RPG theme with lyrics in an anime opening. Booting up Lunar and hearing the opening notes while seeing the animation for the first time immediately lets you know I was in for something special. It also does a great job of setting the tone for the game. A light-hearted anime romp about love and friendship. Let's have a listen. When all the land is peaceful and there is no filter to us at last, then comes a time for love, two hearts colliding into one great hymn. But there are winds foreboding and there is a dark storm that soon will pass. Kiss me, my love, and go. The time for valor has returned again. You know what this song immediately reminded me of when I heard it, Nadia? 90s anime. He can run. Da, 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 you know, from oh, Sonic. Oh, Sonic, Sonic Boom? CD. Sonic Boom. Sonic, Sonic CD. Yeah, Boom. it's exactly Sonic that. Boom. And it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned that. First of all, I love the fact that when you look at the American opening, it immediately says Working Design Presents, like... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's like okay, they did localize the game, of course, but uh, that's what you did. You didn't make it. Uh, good old, good old working designs. Anyway, yes, they did change the opening for uh, Lunar, and the original, which I listened to, was kind of a soft little J poppy song. It was it was nice and calming, but they really revved it up for the American version, which is exactly what they did for 
uh, the American version of uh, Sonic CD. So you, you kind of have similar motives going on there, I guess. But uh, yeah, very, very 90s, very anime. Definitely a product of its time. And I do enjoy that sort of look and sound because it makes me very nostalgic. Now all I want to do is watch Slayers. Yes, exactly. It's very... Every design looks like it belongs back on Slayers. Uh, while Ben is at it, he wants to stand for a Lunar Silver Star story complete. To quote, has a lovable cast of characters, complete with variable portraits to reflect their mood and occasional voice acting. His essential love story is charming. The artwork is beautiful, and the anime cutscenes bring the world to life. While the plot isn't entirely original, the story beats are pulled off with enough f- finesse to make you care about the characters and to stick with you long after. I will concede that the battle system is a bit of a weak spot. Mostly consists of hitting level gates and managing your MP before boss encounters. Regardless, Lunar remains something of an underrated gem, mostly overlooked and lost to time. Yeah, I remember when it came out on yeah. PlayStation, and mostly I could guarantee that I would see at least one copy of Lunar Silver Star Story in the bargain bin. And that's a damn shame because I should have bought it when it was out, and I didn't, and I regret that because I have never really been able to like. Sorry, I've never been able to play a lunar game except i think there was a bad one on the ds that nobody liked but silver star story complete is supposed to be like the pinnacle of the series and good luck finding a copy today and of course it hasn't been re-released digitally as far as i know please correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think it has okay the composer is noriyuki iwadare has worked on many soundtracks going back to 1990 including lunar langrisser all the grandia games ace attorney and weirdly enough, Wing Commander for Sega CD. Really? Interesting. Yes. Uh, apparently won an award for the Lunar soundtrack, though I couldn't track down which one it was. The vocals were by Mayumi Sudo. I really like the upbeat, kind of very 90s anime feel to uh, Iwadari's soundtracks, especially the Grandia games. The Grandia games are so catchy. Yeah, definitely. The 90s were a very nice, optimistic time. <laughs> And I absolutely adore the Ace Attorney soundtracks, especially when you're doing the objection. Yeah, and everything kind of just, like, ramps up. Perfect mood music. I I do love the, uh... I especially love the music that they added for the fifth trial in the first game. Like, that was just such a great moody trial. I loved it so much. There's one thing that Track of the Week has taught me, Nadia. It's like, we give a lot of love to people like Mitsuda and uh, Uematsu and all that, but... There have been these composers who have been around just forever, who have been working for like 30 years in the industry and have produced just fantastic music over that time. Absolutely. And they're just, they're just kind of over in the little corner and they wave and say, here I am. Yeah. And they're still still making stuff. Yep. And I appreciate that very much. You would already still going. Okay, let's continue on to the mailbag. Last week, Nadia, we did the PlayStation Portable Console RPG Quest. And Nate Dizzy says, I just want to give a shout out to the PlayStation TV. It allowed those of us who found handheld gaming uncomfortable to experience PSP and Vita's libraries. Even though it's now obsolete since many of their games have made their way onto consoles and PC, I'll always have a soft spot for this little piece of tech. Gotta admit, Nadia was never a huge fan of the Super Game Boy slash Game Boy Advance TV slash PSP TV. Yeah, um, I never played the... uh playstation tv or adapted it in any way or but i was never a huge super game boy uh super game boy advance sort of fan i had them but i just never really used them very much yeah i mean there are plenty of people who are like i only want to play these games on the tv but i was the opposite i was the kind of person who 
would put on a pair of headphones, tuck onto a couch, and just really enjoy the much nice, smaller, crisper screen, right? Whereas, as opposed yeah. to the blown up, horrible looking version on uh, on a monitor. It was it was handy for people like my husband who. Uh, his parents didn't let him have a Game Boy because they thought it would ruin his eyes. So he said, oh, well, can I get a Super Game Boy? And I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. So that's how he got to play his Game Boy game. Can't confirm. My eyes are terrible now. Oh, my I eyes blame are you, horrible. Game Boy. <laughs> it's all Game Boy's fault. That and reading in the dark apparently did it to me, or so my parents say. I used to read in the dark all the time. Me too. I used to sit there and squint at my Game Boy screen and be like, I, I could see it. I could see it. <laughs> what age did you finally have to give up and get glasses? Oh, I finally gave up and started... I had to get glasses when I was, like, 12, but... Yeah. I was driving without them and stuff up until... Oh, no. Up until college? I mean, my eyes weren't that bad. Like, I can still function no. without my glasses, but just not easily. I can't. I absolutely can't. But my eyes are, like, getting progressively worse um, as time goes on, Getting and I'm old. genuinely uncomfortable without them now. Yeah, I, like, since I was eight, I, my eyes just went downhill, and... Well, you've probably seen my glasses. People have said my eyes are, like, huge behind my glasses, like bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. A final shot uh, when it comes to the PSTV. Whenever I went to TGS, uh, I would see the big bank of PSPs, and they would always be attached to a little monitor rather than letting me actually look at the little screen, mm -hmm. and I hated it because it would make it look 10,000 times worse. Yeah, that's uh, that's counterproductive to what you're trying to do. Yeah, the game would go from looking pretty good on the PSP screen to looking outright ugly. Yeah, no, nah, that that would not work well for the PSP. So what I'm saying, Nate Dizzy, is that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, not wrong. He just has a different opinion from us. All right, and Bishia Ted says, where do I go to repeatedly shout at Square Enix to release Crisis Core on anything new? Literally one of the biggest scenes in FF7R means very little without the original scene to reference on, and it's really annoying to have to recommend people to just watch a YouTube video or go searching for an old PSP in order to really get it. Also, not going to lie, I was definitely expecting the track of the week to be Price of Freedom. I know that I was looking at the choices for Crisis Core, because I was also thinking of playing the version that, uh, I might have mentioned it, the the town theme that plays, like, when you're under, op op uh, sorry, when um, Wutai is under occupation, I think there's, like, a theme that's a remix of Anxious Heart, which was really good, but Price of Freedom, I think, yeah... Now I re uh, now I remember it and yeah it's al it's actually like also really good it's such a great soundtrack. I was going to have you pick something from like E Seven or Trails in the Sky or something else, but I forgot to. And then when I looked up, of course you had picked something <laughs> from Crisis Core. I was like, damn it! I I was, I was one step ahead of you, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff. In if I I, you know what, if you ever have me do Ease, and maybe I'll do this in the future, I'll probably put Sunshine Coast as really one of my favorite songs. I will also pointlessly defend Nadia's statement on the PSP failing. While the system didn't actually perform poorly in sales, I would say it definitely failed in its objection of unseating Nintendo from the top of the handheld market. Uh, to I think, Bishia Ted, you are right, and I'm going to add mm -hmm. to that and say that while it was fine, I think Sony not only intended it to unseat Nintendo at the top of the handheld market, they weren't joking when they said they wanted it to be the Walkman of the 21st century. They wanted it to be Absolutely. a new medium for their physical media, that kind of thing. They wanted people to be watching movies on the thing. They wanted it to compete against the freaking iPhone. or Well, okay, the iPhone didn't exist at the time. The iPod. 
They were competing against Apple. And then the iPhone came out and just rendered it completely worthless. All right, Nadia, that's all we have time for this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore cap. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And make sure to leave a review over on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice. I am streaming at twitch.tv slash TV. Nadia is at Achtung Kitten. And we have a podcast, and we have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday that covers all of the RPG headlines. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about role-playing games and everything that pertains to them. But until then, for Donnie and myself, thanks for listening, and until next week, happy adventuring.